0: Hey, Fast Break listeners, Taleb here. We've got a special series for you this month. Fast Company has partnered with Facebook to bring you Uncommon Good, a look at how social good plays a role in business. Thanks for listening and enjoy. I'm Chris Denson, and this is Uncommon Good a custom podcast from FastCoWorks and Facebook. In this series, we'll hear from industry leaders who combine purpose with innovative thinking to give back to their local or global community. Today's episode, how a public school STEM competition is helping educate the next wave of empathetic innovators. Joining me today is Ann Wu, Senior Director of Corporate Citizenship at Samsung Electronics America. And thank you for joining the Uncommon Good podcast. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? All good, new year. All good, new year. That's 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 my Twitter quote for today. Thank you. <laughs> um, I guess for starters, I'm going to give you a layup. Like, what what is uh, a little bit of your background and the journey that got you here, that led you up to to this moment, this conversation, really?
1: Sure. So I've been working at Samsung for 15 years, and going back even beforehand, I think my passion for what I wanted to be when I grew up at a young age was to work with computers. And so I was always on the computer. My parents bought me a computer a really young age, and I loved programming. And I did it for so many years in school. And then I started to look around the room and realize that I was the only girl in the room, and I didn't really care for it. It wasn't for me. I wanted to be more balanced in my life. I had a lot of other interests. And The idea of being in a lab as the only girl wasn't where I saw myself so I kind of went another path but I knew that it was for me and I knew that the thing that made me switch were factors outside of the passion for programming so I wanted to make a difference and I have the chance to do that in my job so I'm so excited to have a job where something in my personal history can really impact others in the future.
0: That's, that's amazing. This is like a whole full circle moment for you. (laughs) You know, in that career journey, even with this 15 years at Samsung, part of your time there has been in this consumer market insights. So how did you transform from the marketing and insight side into the sort of corporate citizenship piece of it?
1: Market research is really about understanding the motivations, the barriers, the things that a company might want to know to connect with consumers in the best way. And Corporate citizenship is not that different. Creating change and driving purpose is really connected to those same principles. If you want to understand how social impact happens, there is the stated but also the unstated. What are the barriers to an individual or group success? What are those needs that are maybe not unspoken but that are barriers that we can try and overcome and move aside to help people believe and fulfill their full potential to create change in communities, and have a voice in social impact
0: Oh, I mean, that's great. It's interesting you bring up the idea of, like, just combining a previous skill with a current need. Was it easy to marry those two, especially in the sense of Solve for Tomorrow, right, to get a program up and running? Maybe you can explain a little bit of what Solve for Tomorrow is so the audience has a perspective on it. But, you know, standing that program up and actually getting it up and running can be quite challenging. So can you walk us through that process?
1: Sure. Well, Samsung Solve for Tomorrow is a nationwide competition that invites public schools with grades 6 through 12 to answer a challenge, which is show how STEM, that science, technology, engineering, and math can be applied to improve your local community. For us, it's really great to have that connection between what is a typical route, which is that textbook kind of learning, and really have applied learning, which is to get up, to get moving, to ask questions, and to understand what are the real challenges that are out there, what are the underlying factors And what are the different paths to get to the answer? I think in school, you learn that you've got to show the work to get to the answer, and it's either right or wrong. But in life, we know that there's lots of issues, lots of challenges, and maybe one barrier can unlock a lot of opportunity elsewhere. And so this is real-world application to problem solving that we think is so different and complements what students are learning in classrooms today.
0: I think when people think Samsung, or they think STEM, or they hear those words, it's like, you know, 3D printers and laser cutters and like all these equipment. So how did you go about understanding the the difference between a, a STEM lab and STEM curriculum in education?
1: Back in 2009, in 2010, we really thought about what as a company we could do around this challenge of STEM education. I think the stats of US students' performance on math and science just underwhelms compared to other countries. And we knew that students weren't really interested in studying math and science here in the US. So what we wanted to do was not be a school, be a classroom, but to work with educators to understand how we as a corporation could change the conversation, could excite a generation of students to think of STEM in a different way, which is really that root problem solving, critical thinking. million annual prize never hurts the conversation for sure, but it was really our way of saying like we as a company take what is textbook learning and apply it with this idea of continuous innovation at the core of what we do. And how do we bring that into classrooms? How do we share that with the next generation of students so that it's relatable, it's approachable, it's culturally relevant as Young people, they really want to change the world. How do we tap into that and show them the skills that they need to get to the answer?
0: You mentioned one of the biggest industry buzzwords, failure. How did the kids handle it and maybe the teachers, but also do you guys work with them on the emotional side of you know the STEM process, right? The emotional grit it takes to see a vision through. Like I wanna build this thing and I keep messing it up, right, you can abandon it or you can kind of get over the hump. So what have you seen their reactions be and like how, how do you kind of teach those soft skills?
1: So for us, the contest is a year-long journey, starting in September and ending in the springtime. So we follow the academic school year, which allows teachers to work with students over the month. We also have different tiers of the contest where you can, it's not a winner-take-all, but it brings you along that journey. What we've been able to do is really see students grow and learn and test and continue on through the the contest year. We have a lot of submissions from classrooms that they might not make it to the final rounds, but they still do the, the project and go through that process because they're kind of hooked into what they want to do, which is the change in their communities that they seek to achieve, not the contest itself. There's always pride if you win a national competition, but it is really that confidence that you get Knowing that you can overcome what are challenges along the way in innovation, that experimentation and that failure as part of it, but that you can overcome it because the goal you seek to achieve is worth the journey that it takes to get there.
0: Thanks to 2020, the word classroom means a a very different thing now. You know, when, when March of 2020 hit and we all started to lock our doors and buy all the toilet paper, what, what were some of like the mental and logistical mechanics you had to go through to keep the program afloat and kind of reinvent and reimagine what it looks and feels like?
1: Back in March, we were preparing to invite 20 schools from across the country to come to New York for an in-person live pitch event and the announcement of who the national winners would be, obviously. The students wanted to come, they didn't want to stay home and not compete, but we had to take stock and make sure that we as a company did what was right for the students and the teachers and everyone else traveling. So we decided to pause the program. And the big key for us was pivot. That has been our sort of rallying cry for the year. So we gave more time to the schools to prepare, but we did it virtually. We had 20 schools compete on one day in front of five panel judges. And they got to present their idea and their solution from their homes. We had all the students do it from home, whether or not they could go into the classroom. So it was an even playing field. And a couple of days later, we were on Facebook Live announcing the five winners in real time. So they still got the experience. They wanted the experience. They still had this energy to compete, but we had to find a new way to do it despite COVID. And despite what is the new classroom of the moment, to make sure that kids are still motivated to get to that goal of STEM studies and STEM careers.
0: Well, there's, I mean, there's your soft skill right there too, right? It's that idea of like, okay, something happened, let's keep going and it's okay. I don't have a question there, Just it's more of an applaud to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think some would take up argument with you on STEM versus STEAM. Because, you know, a lot of people like to add the A and the arts part of it. Does that come into play during the process of the contest, that creative, you know, sort of free-spirited, traditional, quote-unquote, art?
1: We believe that creativity is embedded in the program. It's intrinsically there because they are looking for solutions that may not exist in the world today. So we feel that innovation and creativity is just a general theme that's embedded in the contest from the very beginning. On top of that, we've really been focused on the idea of stempathy, which is embedding human connection and empathy and compassion into the work that we do. To have that connection, you need to have a sense of compassion and empathy for who will be impacted and who will be the beneficiary of the change that you seek to achieve. And We've really been emphasizing the connection of how design of new ideas must have that human compassion and empathy innately in the work that they do. And so this connection of STEM and empathy and compassion and creativity is the core to who Samsung Sol for Tomorrow is.
0: We'll be back after a short break. Hi, I'm Brandon Lee Myers, Technology Industry Manager at Facebook. It's no secret that 2020 was a challenging year for people and businesses around the world. But in the midst of those challenging and uncertain times, some organizations uncovered unique opportunities to help their customers survive and thrive despite the odds. You're listening to Uncommon Good, a podcast sponsored by Facebook, highlighting voices from the tech industry who are helping to keep communities together in this unprecedented age of social distancing. If you'd like to learn more about how Facebook can help you build community and grow your business, visit us at facebook.com business. I guess from a corporate perspective, how big of an operation is this? And you know what sorts of internal resources do you have to leverage to get this? And also kind of turning employees into champions for the program.
1: The motivating factor in all that we do are the students, the classrooms, to create a new point of view, a new skill set, a new passion area that students may not have realized before being part of the competition. And I have the luxury, I think, of just to meet these students, to hear about these students, to know what they're overcoming, to know why they want to see change in the world happen. And for all of us, we can you know, remember ourselves at that age and having this energy and not knowing any inhibiting factors that could make that change happen, that drive and that passion being everything. And for us, just having our colleagues to have our executives just meet these students to meet these teachers to know that it is more than a time in their life where they have to show up to class or a job it is a passion area it is the reason why they exist the reason why they want to pursue a career the reason why they want to get up in the morning and everything in between that is the energy that I just have to show people And then they believe it.
0: When you identify the students you want to participate in the program or the schools are identifying students, is there a particular profile you're looking for? Because I think I would imagine like for some of these folks, it might be a really great point of discovery. And for others, it's like, I know I want to do more of this. I want to build a robot or I want to, you know, make a game. So what sort of profile of person are you looking for with the program?
1: Samsung Solve for Tomorrow is unique in that it's not an individual competition. This is not... Joe Smith, age 15, who was going to go to their Ivy League school anyway, who participates in the program. What well, we seek to find are classrooms, teams of students who work together to collectively solve this problem. And so, team based learning. Is key to it, but it invites a lot of people to the table. You have creative students who are producing the video that is the submission for the contest. You've got people who are script writing. You've got the engineering students who are doing the program on the back end. And so they learn how to work together, but they also learn each other's skill sets and strengths. So we have students who've been part of the program who were creative. They thought they were going to an art school and became engineering students as a part. But even if you're not going to be a STEM professional, what you get out of the program is the understanding of how to problem solve, how to be creative and apply critical thinking to get to an answer. So we love the aspect of having many students come to the table and come up with a collective idea that changes the world.
0: We talked about failure earlier. The opposite of that is success what does success look like and maybe what are some examples of either products that have come out of the process or you know maybe career paths that have changed if you've been doing this for 10 or 11 years right there's probably like oh joe smith age 15 is now 25 (laughs) and you know the head of his own startup or her own startup
1: we have great stories of students who've gone on to become social activists to become engineers environmental scientists. For me, one of the proudest anecdotes and reference points that I have is the town of Gearing, Nebraska. So Gearing High School has been a multi-year winner of the competition. It's a rural school. They had an engineering class that had 16 students, but as a result of being in the competition and seeing the energy and momentum of this program now has over 140 students. So just the energy and the interest to get into an engineering program in high school is a huge success point for us. We also know that the school has gotten grants from their state government to implement STEM curriculum in their junior high school, and that their town has passed a bond, which is a vote of confidence for the school to have new resources to continue to build the STEM pipeline. Those are the magic stories for me that keep me motivated, that keep the team motivated, and challenge us to do better every year because we know that we can have those success
0: stories. When you say the phrase every year, it makes me think about the speed at which things change. How do you go about educating yourself and your teams and the, the other folks around you on what's current, what's on trend, what's culturally relevant to the kids that you're actually trying to reach. You know, Vanilla Ice versus Travis Scott is going to be a different <laughs> reaction. So how do you go about keeping abreast of what's new, current, next and most useful?
1: Samsung Solve for Tomorrow is designed such that the students, the classrooms are telling us what's important to them. So if I had to come up with a new idea every year that connected with a generation of students all across the country, I'd probably fail every time. (laughs) But what the contest gets to do is they get to tell us what's important, what's meaningful, what sits with them, what motivates them, what inspires them every year in the entries. The other thing that we do is we have a network of teachers that have been part of the contest since the very beginning. They are telling us what's going on in classrooms today so that they are sort of our first line of listening. And so we really think about innovation and that adaptation to what's going on in this ever-changing environment as the constant.
0: Uh, I think that's kind of telling in terms of Like I said, what's on the kids' minds, but also think Samsung's not necessarily an expert in vaping or, you know, opioid addiction and and those sorts of things. How often do you bring in outside collaborators to help you with some of these challenges that might come up in these discovery sessions and the execution?
1: So we have advisors who are part of the program, part of the Solve for Tomorrow family who help us along the way, both even from a technical aspect of the solutions they seek to achieve. Is it doable? Is the science behind their solution valid? But even to the understanding of the data, the context around what these challenges are, we also connect our classrooms to a network of experts who are anything from mechanical engineers to social scientists who can help them understand where the underlying issues are. We also challenge students to get civically engaged as part of the program. We want them to talk to their community, their civic leaders, to university professors in their area to get outside input to understand the problem better. And we encourage that because I think that a lot of times doing any project in isolation, you you have your knowns but there are so many other factors and contributing data that can have a, can change your project idea or understanding of the problem in a way you haven't seen before, so we really encourage that as part of the program and really celebrate them for their engagement with the Community as part of the contest.
0: That's, that's beautifully stated. It's, you don't know what you don't know. So it's kind of like keep keep a deep Rolodex, right? And how do you go about engaging those experts? Is it like a call to action? Is it just kind of relationship-based? Is it, you know, just kind of keep a repository? What's the process behind those, those outside resources?
1: So we work with an organization called Nepris, that is that network of experts that we invite our students to tap into. So you might not have an expert in environmental engineering in your town, but you can connect to a national or international expert who can guide you on your specific question. We also work with partners like Donors Choose, which is a national organization that's helping classrooms in need to get resources. We talk to government leaders all the time about what these amazing classrooms across the country are doing. And then we, of course, tap into our own network of experts within the company. And we have employee ambassadors and mentors who are part of the program. So sometimes you might not know the person that you need to reach, but you may know the person who knows the person on where to reach. So we are really tapping into our network of our people as one of our biggest and deepest Rolodexes to help us make those connections real for them. I don't know if everyone will know what a Rolodex is now that we're talking about it. That's also-
0: Now it's just a, a colloquialism. It's not even, <laughs> it's just like, you, you know what people are referencing, but you know, like, oh, this would be one of those things in history books where people go like, oh, you know, the Rolodex was an actual device that held business cards. So I'm gonna go from history to the future, solving for tomorrow. Where can people go to find more information? What kind of support do you need? Shameless plug time, but like where, where do people go to learn more about what, you, what you're up to?
1: You can go to samsung.com solve to learn more about the competition. We are in the middle of the 11th year right now. We're so excited to continue this program and miss COVID because we know that these classrooms are excited to compete. Just follow us throughout the competition on Instagram or Facebook, and you can meet the students virtually. You can hear about their ideas and really connect with this generation of students that want to see change happen and happen now.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for doing what I hope becomes Common Good. But uh, (laughs) thanks for joining Uncommon Good today, Anne.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: That's all for this episode of Uncommon Good. Uncommon Good is produced by Fast Co-Works in partnership with Facebook. I'm Chris Denson. Our producer is Avery Miles.